Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 4. If you have children, you can dismiss those kiddos to children's ministry. So maybe the third or fourth sermon I ever preached was on Proverbs 23, 23, and that Proverbs says, buy the truth and sell it not by wisdom, instruction, and understanding. So can you imagine like a 20-year-old kid whose voice hadn't fully changed standing in front of you telling you, buy the truth and sell it not? I remember the basic gist of the message. Um, basic gist of the message was the truth is permanent and and it's powerful. And one of the things I talked about as this pipsqueak was that, you know, once you have the truth, um, it never changes. So once you acquire truth, that truth endures forever. And so that's pretty rare because most things degrade in value or usefulness or relevancy. But, you know, the truth can be applied so many different ways so that if you grab a truth when you're 18 or 20 or something, that truth can help you throughout your whole life. It's, it, you know, it's amazingly versatile and useful. And of course, the truth is transformative and it protects you and instructs you. And so in my little 20-year-old way, I, I told this congregation full of mostly uh, you know, rural 60-year-olds, buy the truth and sell it not. And I said, that means we need to work for the truth. And the truth isn't cheap. And that means that we need to buy the truth and not other things because nobody can buy everything. And so we have to prioritize the truth and so on and so forth. I, I just loved that verse. And I still do today. I, I think that this commitment that's shown in Proverbs twenty three twenty three, of just, you know what? I want the truth. Even when it's painful, even when it's scary, even when it's disruptive, I just want the truth. And I'm willing to pay everything in my life to know the truth and to live in the truth. Well, that has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about today out of Acts 4. Uh, I want you to imagine that you've got this incredible friend who always tells you the truth and uh, always knew the truth. That means he always knew the truth. So he always knows the truth, he or she, and always tells you the truth. And that friend would be pretty cool to have as long as you weren't stubborn and a bad listener and so forth, but you probably would be. So suppose this friend, in addition to knowing the truth, always knowing the truth and always telling you the truth, this friend was an expert communicator, and he had a way of reaching you like nobody else. And uh, he or she had the ability to be firm and gentle at the same time, and kind and persistent at the same time. And imagine like what your life would look like if you had this friend who was always with you, always knew the truth, always told you the truth, and told you the truth in a way that actually got inside of you, uh, in spite of your stubbornness and so forth. Well... That would be amazing because it's a complicated world out there and it's a complicated world in here. So we all live in two very complicated universes, the one that's out here and the one that's in here. And if you had a friend that was always telling you the truth, you know, the world would make so much more sense and you'd be able to sort of understand things in a different way and you wouldn't overreact to things that you shouldn't overreact to and so forth. Have you ever seen a... a a child's painting when they're learning to paint and everything, all the proportions are the same. So there's like a man and a woman and a tree and a house and they're all the same, you know, they're all the same size. 
And uh, like, I think that's the way that, that our, our minds work. And so part of the truth is helping us to see the proportionality of things. Because one of the problems we have, one of the ways that we deceive ourselves is we, we make this world, this world seems bigger to us than eternity, right? Or, or man's approval seems bigger to us than God's approval. Or the pleasures of sin seem bigger to us than the pleasures of righteousness, so uh, one of the things that's going on when we get the truth is it's not only like information, but it, it sets that information in perspective and it gives us a way of appreciating this is more important than that and that's more important than this and so on and so forth. And really without that, uh, I think you'd just be walking into things all the time, you know, if you had no depth perception, no sense of proportion. And that sounds like most of our lives <laughs> in, in some respects. So the ability to know the truth and all that it affects, it's pretty amazing. Now, I want us to look at three sections in Acts 4 and see what they have in common. So verses 8 through 10, let me read that. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Now look at verses 25 and 26. This is the whole collective church praying to God. And they say, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now look at verse 29. Again, this is a a continued part of the believer's prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So, what do these three pieces of scripture in the same chapter have in common? They all reference the Holy Spirit. But more than that, they tell us what the Holy Spirit does, or an essential function of the Holy Spirit. And that is, the Holy Spirit functions to tell people the truth. All right, so let's just put a big, broad category of what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit tells people the truth. The Holy Spirit tells the truth. How about that? So let's think about that today and, and how that helps us and, and be great, great, grateful and also lean into this work of the Holy Spirit to tell the truth. So how does the Holy Spirit tell the truth? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit uh, talks in a certain way, and I, I want us to get some sense this is going to be the uh, this is going to be the hardest part of the sermon for me. I want to try to explain that the Holy Spirit communicates in a way that is more than, but not less than, intellectual. So uh, I want to try to explain how the Holy Spirit communicates. I want to try to explain how it, it, it differs from merely the uploading of information, and that's kind of hard to talk about. Um, you know, it, it, it could be said, I've thought about different ways of explaining this, and it could be said that um, 
What if you watched the Lord of the Rings movies without the soundtrack? Right? So, you know, you got the dialogue, but no music at all. Now, if you, if you know those films, you understand that there would be a dramatic difference in your appreciation for that world without that music. And suddenly, when you add that music to the, to the, to the movie, there's a deeper meaning that comes forward with the addition of the music. Uh, th- th- there's, something, there's something about the way the Holy Spirit communicates that is not merely intellectual, though it is affecting and entering in through our intellect. I'm trying to get this idea of, you know, the, uh, the idea almost of a picture being worth a thousand words. You know, <laughs> I read this story about this, uh, this work crew a uh, guy posted it online. He said, I work with a guy from Mexico. He doesn't speak a lot of English. A Canadian goose made a nest by one of the gates that we work near and hissed at him while he was, he was uh, putting the horses out. And the Mexican guy comes back afterwards and says to us, I do not like the cobra chicken. <laughs> it's like, cobra chicken? That's a good description of a Canadian goose. There's something... There's something going on in reality that involves things deeper than what we normally think of. And, and, and there's, a, there's a level of cognition, a level of sensing and understanding that, that is just deeper than mere words. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that he, doesn't, he believes in Christianity as he believes the sun has risen, not only because he sees it, but, but because by it he sees everything else. Your capacity to know through the Holy Spirit is difficult to quantify. It's difficult to describe. I'm, I'm really, I know, I'm doing a miserable job right now. I'm just hitting the edges. I'm going to give you some scriptures that I think do a better job. But you know, Spurgeon said that um, when a man tries to light up the night sky, he does it with fireworks, and they're loud and flashy, um, but they don't really work that well, actually, to light up the night sky. It says that when God goes to light up the night sky, he silently causes the sun to rise. And there's a different kind of light associated with the sun rising and a, and a firework. And it's just this difference. Um, so in Romans, Paul touches on these things. He touches on it in Ephesians as well. In Romans 9, he's talking about his love for his uh, Jewish brothers and Romans 9.1, he says, you know, I, I tell you the truth, I am not lying. Uh, my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I think the ESV says, I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Somehow, as Paul as, is, is sorting out who, what he really thinks, he's communicating with the Spirit while his conscience is somehow engaged. Romans 8. Paul says in in verse 16 of Romans 8, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the Holy Spirit is communicating with us in 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 a very interesting way. I'm not sure how to say it, except that many of the titles that refer to the Holy Spirit are, are terms that I think you understand imply more than just information. For instance, a guide. 
right? Or a counselor or a comforter. Holy Spirit's way of speaking, way of communicating is deeper than the intellect, deeper than information. Paul says in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit provides, he prays that the Holy Spirit would provide a way of knowing that surpasses knowledge. Okay, that's the murky part. Let's get to the, the less murky part, okay? So that's a, a bit about, like, let's think about how the Holy Spirit communicates. And maybe some of that will get cleared up as we get into the, the more solid and clear. Secondly, let's think about how the Holy Spirit or the, the, the venues by which the Holy Spirit communicates. First of all, the Holy Spirit tells the truth by inspiring the scriptures. That shows up explicitly in verse 25 and 26 of our text in Acts 4 where the believers pray, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. In verses 25 and 26 of Acts chapter 4, the believers confirm that when David spoke in Psalm 2, it wasn't only David speaking. Here you see the doctrine of inspiration. The idea that the words of God are the word of God are the words of God. That that there is a a theonutos, a, a, a breathing of God. So that's what's happening not only in verses twenty. So it's kind of funny. This is an inception moment, I guess. In verses twenty-five and twenty-six, these people are saying, "We know that when David spoke in Psalm two, it was actually the Holy Spirit speaking through David." And then at another level. These people are being quoted by Luke, who is writing the gospel, who is writing the, the book of Acts, and Luke's recording of the book of Acts is also being guided by the Holy Spirit in the same way that the Holy Spirit guided David's writing of Psalm two. So one of the ways that really helped me, if you're if you're kind of thinking, you know, I, I don't really think I understand how the Holy Spirit, I don't think I understand the whole inspiration thing. It's not that I doubt it; I just don't really understand. What happened? Um, you know, did the Holy Spirit grab the pen? And you're sitting there, if you're Luke or David, you're just kind of like, what is happening right now? You know, how, how, does, how, does, this, how does this actually work? Well, uh, Orthodox understanding of inspiration is called a verbal plenary inspir- you know, uh, uh, inspiration. And the idea, I think, is best summed up in Second Peter one twenty one where Peter alludes to kind of what's going on when the Holy Spirit speaks through a writer of Scripture. In 2 Peter 1.21, he says, Prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So men spoke or wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the verb for carried along is used to speak of a sail filled with wind carrying a boat along the water. So while human authors were putting pen to paper, the Holy Spirit carried them along so that they wrote, the words that they wrote were breathed out words of God while the writings retain the personality of the individual authors so that you know Paul's style is different than James or John or Peter. So if you're wondering, how does the Holy Spirit, how did the Holy Spirit write the Bible? Well, he, he carried these men along while honoring their personality and even the intention that they had when they, when, they, when they approached the writing of Scripture. 
The Holy Spirit's actively providing the words to them, but in a way that is tricky to describe. Like a boat being carried along by the wind. So that's one way the Holy Spirit speaks. And, and by the way, uh, we're going we're gonna to gear up a, a class on uh, the, the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. Um, and you saw some of that on Basecamp and asked, asked you what questions you had. We all had excellent questions. So that will come in the future. We'll have a class that will answer many of the other questions that you have related to the authority of God's Word. The second way that God speaks, the second way the Holy Spirit speaks, the second way the Holy Spirit tells us the truth is that the Holy Spirit illuminates the Scripture to believers. So not only does he tell the truth by creating the Scriptures, but then he also inspires believers to understand the Scriptures in unique ways. And I don't mean unique in like crazy ways, but I do mean unique in ways that are surprising. So this happens again. This is also something that's happening in verses 25 and 26. So these believers are gathered in response to Peter and John's persecution. They're gathered and they start to pray. And when they pray, they start quoting Psalm 2. Why? Right? Like, why did Psalm 2 come to their mind in this particular moment? They didn't have a topical Bible, I don't think. Um, Certainly didn't have Google. Um, how, How did they know that? A passage from Psalm, from the book of Psalms was the thing that applied to them in this particular situation. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's one of the ways the Holy Spirit helps a believer. He allows the scriptures to come to life. And he gives you a, a sense of, hey, this scripture means something for you in this context and so on and so forth. Never divorcing the original meaning of the scripture. Never twisting the scripture but helping you to see how God's word applies in your life here and now. The Holy Spirit inspires the scriptures. The Holy Spirit illuminates the scriptures. And one more thing, uh, the Holy Spirit implants truth-based gifts. Now, now what do I mean by truth-based gifts? Well, truth-rooted resources is a better way of saying it. I I think that's uh, the way, yep. Truth-rooted, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, when you look at examples in the scripture, where people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they get certain qualities. And, and, and here are some of those qualities. Skill, wisdom, joy, faith, and boldness. And all of these are qualities that are associated with someone's grasping of the truth. It's very interesting that skill is included in this list. What is skill other than an understanding of how something works. There's a, a truthiness to even skill. And then, of course, wisdom and joy. Well, why would you be joyful? You know, as Lisa referenced, what, what, what cause do we have to be joyful? Our lives are so hard and confusing and we're so sinful and so forth. Well, because the truthiness of the Holy Spirit, the truth-telling power of the Holy Spirit gives you a ability to see the things that are bigger than your circumstances. The Holy Spirit allows you to see the real stuff. So all of these resources are truth-rooted. Our our passage in Acts 4 really talks a lot about boldness. Like, well, why is boldness truth-rooted? Well, it it can only come because it's truth-rooted, right? Like, once you realize that I live in this tent, and it's not going to hold up forever, 
and, uh, and, and once you realize what can man's opinion do to me, once you realize that not a hair on my head can be touched apart from the Lord, once you start rooting yourself in these truths, then boldness emerges as a consequence. So I, I, again, this is, this is that hard concept that the Holy Spirit is telling you things, of course, through his, through his word and he's illuminating his word. But you know, sometimes he's just giving you these qualities that are associated with just a clearer sense of the truth. And maybe sometimes you realize those truths and maybe sometimes you don't. Um, number four, the Holy Spirit serves as a son to the unbelieving heart. Now, this is interesting. We're still talking about the different ways that the Holy Spirit communicates. We said that he communicates through Scripture and, and through illuminating Scripture and so forth. But this is an interesting one. The Holy Spirit serves as a son to an unbelieving heart. In John sixteen eight, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The thing to remember on that is that that doesn't always lead to someone getting saved. Uh, uh, the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment doesn't always lead to conversion. It will lead to conversion, but not everybody will be saved when they encounter the Holy Spirit's work through believers and through the Word. And that's what I mean when I say that the Holy Spirit serves as a son to the unrighteous or to the unsaved. And I get that because Spurgeon once said that the same sun that softens the wax also hardens the clay. And uh, the word will have its work. The Holy Spirit will see to that. But sometimes the sun melts the wax. It melts a heart. It, it says, hey, you know, come on now. And the heart, the heart softens. And sometimes the same work with the same word, doesn't soften, it hardens, right? That's just a part of the way that God does things. Now, lastly, let's talk about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It, it, our, our last text ends with that statement. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me read that again, verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, I really think there's a power in, in information being presented in threes. Uh, there's all sorts of very interesting reasons for that cognitively. And one of them is you get to pick out differences uh, with a, an odd set. And this text is really important to help us to understand the other texts. And here's why. Uh, first of all, it helps us to see that not every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, so the final reference gives us some category for Christians who are praying and who are not, at that moment, at least initially, filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that they then became uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. So that means that it's not something that you can take for granted or believe that you're simply always going to experience it. 
Now, you would say that every believer starts their life with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the regenerative force that, that, that causes us to be born again. You can read John 3 and see that. And you would certainly say that every believer has the benefits of the Holy Spirit at all times. And yet there is something more that these believers in this passage didn't have and then did have. Um, but I think the other piece of this, the, the other reason this text is so helpful is because it, it, it also reminds us that every Christian can be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we didn't have this last section, we would just have Peter and David as our Holy Spirit examples. And then you might start thinking, well, this whole filled with the Holy Spirit thing is just uh, for the elites, right? This last example, this last piece of text tells us, no, um, anybody can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Anybody in Christ can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and number three, this is very important. It, this text tells us that there's no spiritual obstacle course required. You know what's so interesting about the Holy Spirit is it's, it's, he tells people the truth and people lie about him all the time, right? Like it's amazing the number of lies that spin around the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting when you read in Acts about the Holy Spirit and you see people trying to buy it and people try to use it as sort of a power move. I think that's why. I think that's why there's so much distortion about the Holy Spirit because it's a source of power, spiritual power. But one of the big lies, and you can hear it and see it in a million different ways, is that somehow being filled with the Holy Spirit is something you've got to conjure or coax or pay for in a way that puts you in some second tier. You know, puts you in some second tier as an exceptional Christian or that you or that, you know, there's something you must do. But you know, this is one of those classic examples in Scripture where they do nothing. They don't even ask. This is very important. They don't even ask. That isn't to say we should not ask. But, but it is to say that anybody who stands up in front of you and starts pretending like they've got some kind of secret recipe that will make your Christian life easier, it's just, honestly, biblically suspect. The Holy Spirit in this moment, in this text, is not falling on these believers or filling these believers because they have done. Holy Spirit is falling on these believers and filling these believers because that's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus died. Jesus died to bring us the comforter, the counselor, the guide, the son, However you would say it, the whole, Jesus died to bring God to us and to bring us to God. And so uh, we don't see any hoops being jumped through here, do we? We see a bunch of people praying sincerely for the mission of the church to continue. And uh, the Holy Spirit fills them. So I, I think it would be important for me to say, well, what is... What would be the difference between not being filled with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, that's a very difficult thing to, to get to. The focus of Scripture doesn't seem to really want to, to tease that particular piece of the, uh, the, the puzzle out. But I want to bring you back to the friend metaphor. 
And I want to suggest that this perfect friend that you have, uh, who always knows the truth, always tells you the truth, and can tell you the truth in a way that will get you to actually listen, that your, re- your friendship with this friend, the reality of your friendship with this friend, the reality of your fellowship with this friend, it goes through phases. And that um, sometimes it's like you guys are right there together, and sometimes you're being, you know, you. There seems to be a qualitative difference. For what reason? Who knows? Sin, neglect, human exhaustion. There seems to be a qualitative difference in the relationship, the relational experience you have with the Holy Spirit. And that seems to be what is behind the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's simply being in that right relational place with the truth teller. And that's something that God is eager to do in Christ. I want to go off my notes a little bit here and just, and just uh, tell you about this ancient, there's this people love to put things in sevens back in the, in the ancient world. And there's this ancient list called the seven gifts of the Holy spirit. And I'll tell you more about it here in a minute, but those, that, that the, the, the gifts are, Wisdom, um, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, fear of the Lord. And uh, they come from a particular passage, Isaiah, Isaiah 11. I'm going to read that passage to you in a minute. But the idea is that there were these seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there's a biblical root to this. It's not entire mysticism. And that those, those gifts are things that are really important and helpful in the Christian life. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, fear of the Lord. Here's the key, and this is how we'll end. Those come from Isaiah 11. Where they are spoken of about Christ. Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. You have this amazing friend in your life if you're in Christ. We're going to pray in a moment that that friendship would be in prime health. That the Lord would restore us today, together. But let us be clear. This friend is available to you because Jesus is a friend to sinners. Jesus Christ is the only rightful, rightful possessor of this most excellent friend. Jesus Christ is the only true friend of the Spirit. So when he steps up in his hometown synagogue and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim 
cap release for the captive and so forth. And guys, everything about this truth telling friend, it's it really is a life changer. And it's all possible because Jesus is God. And he offered himself his perfect righteousness up for us to bring us to the Father and bring the Spirit to us. As we partake in the Lord's table today, sometimes you, you think about the effect of the gospel in terms of its capacity to make you right with God. And sometimes that's a very abstract idea. Okay, I'm good, I'm right with God. Here, very tangibly. The thing that this table celebrates bought you the best friend you could ever have. The friend who always knows the truth, the friend who always tells you the truth, and the friend who can tell you the truth in a way that will actually get you to listen. So as you come today, praise Jesus for what his death and resurrection have brought you. Now let's pray before we take communion. As I said a few minutes ago, this is being filled with the Holy Spirit is something that you should not take for granted. And hopefully today you've been stirred to desire that this counselor and guide and comforter, this truth teller, would take up more of a prominent role in your heart and mind. So let's just do that. Let's just ask the Lord today that he would restore that, the reality and the sweetness of that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Just bow your heads. Again, engage your hearts with me right now. Let's, um, let's really think about this for a minute. Lord, we really do need everything that I described here. We are so confused. And we live in a confusing world. We tend to see things that aren't that big or important as things that are. And then we tend to see the things that aren't that are really big and important as, as small. We've got all sorts of problems related to truth. And Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. It's a sweet thing to be told the truth. It's a sweet thing for the God of the universe to somehow uh, burn the fog away that had been confusing us and unsettling us and to just give us what is real, what is really real. Everybody here that is in Christ needs uh, needs the friend you've offered, the, the comforter, the counselor, the guide. And so uh, we're, not, we're not putting anything up right now, Lord, that says, here, Here's this thing. Now we deserve more of you. We don't have works that uh, that equate to our deserving more of you. We don't have even got attitudes. We have nothing to barter with right now. We are simply children acknowledging the truth of your word. And we need, we need, Lord, 
to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is the best place to be in the human experience. Is to be close with this truth-telling friend. We pray, God, that you would help us. And then you would help us, Lord, to remember six months down the road, whatever, how crucial how crucial it is to be walking in the Spirit, with the Spirit. Lord, thank you for your grace, your unmerited grace, Lord. We lean into that right now as our only hope for your provision of all that we need. And we pray all this in the name of our Savior Jesus.